Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. It is lovely uh, to be together this morning. It is so good to be here. Um, And let me ask you a question. Have you ever spent any time with children? If you're a parent, or if you've spent a day in the life of a child, you will know that in any one day, they can experience and feel anger, frustration, joy, peace and sharing, love, happiness, wailing. There can be so many emotions. There can be tears if they don't get the right color spoon at tea time. Or there can be so much excitement that it tends to crazy and they don't know what to do with it. I know when I was about three or four, I would get so excited about Christmas that I would make myself ill and then spend all the days on the couch ill. So we had to tone it down in my house. (laughs) But um, now I've learned how to manage it. (laughs) We're all good. But basically, we see in children that they can feel so many emotions. They can be so unpredictable. And not only do they feel the emotions, but many children will also express them in the moment without any inhibition as to where they are or who they are with. So what has changed? (laughs) We don't grow out of feeling or experiencing emotion. And yet, we know that something has changed. If we wake up tomorrow morning and we're walking down the tube platform, platform, (laughs) it's catching, (laughs) platform, and the train pulls out just as we arrive, just as the doors close, if we don't make it, we don't throw ourselves on the floor and kick and scream until the next one arrives. In fact, often people will do the very opposite. They'll run, they'll leg it, and if they miss it, they'll be like, oh, just wanted to wave bye to everyone. <laughs> Wasn't really going for it. There'll be a way of controlling it. If we go round to our friend's house for dinner and we don't get our favorite plate, we don't throw the food and scream until we actually get promised our favorite bowl for pudding. It just doesn't work like that. But does it mean that we have stopped feeling emotion? No. Does it mean that we don't get frustrated or upset? Does it mean that we don't get annoyed anymore? What is it that has changed? Well, today we are going to be thinking about emotion, about our emotional integrity. And if you've just joined us for the first time this morning, we're actually at the end of a series of Sundays where we have been reading through the book of Proverbs, which is this amazing book in the Bible. It's 31 chapters long. And the Proverbs, when they are read together, give us wisdom to help us navigate the nuances and the seasons of life. And we have one proverb that we are going to be looking at today, and it is this. It's found in chapter 4, verse 25. It says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And this is one of my favorite Proverbs, and there is so much depth here and so many ways that we could look at this and explore this proverb. But for this series and for today, we are going to be thinking about this proverb in the context of how we carry and connect to our emotions. And this is obviously such a big area, and we have a few minutes together here this Sunday morning, so we are going to touch on points that I hope will point us towards wisdom 
even if we don't get to explore everything in depth. And I will say, before we even go any further, that what we are not looking at today is mental health diagnoses. And I know that there may be some of us here who have actually been diagnosed with a mental health disorder and may be following a treatment plan after that. And because we are not talking about that today, it doesn't mean that we don't need to or we don't want to. We do. We need to be talking about where we are at so that we can understand each other, so that we can learn to love one another better. But that is not what we are looking at today. Today, we are thinking about our emotion and our emotional health. So when we may refer later to anxiety, I am talking about feelings of anxiety and anxiousness and not an anxiety disorder. Because what we are looking at today is how the Bible helps us to acknowledge our emotions, how it helps us to listen to them and to learn how to wisely steward them. Because our emotions are an integral part of being human. They're a gift to us. The ability to connect to and feel them is a gift. And yet sometimes, I don't know about you, but even though they are so part of us, they can be messy and complicated and unpredictable. And we don't quite know all the time what to do with them. And so we need to learn to become wise at navigating them, at allowing them to illuminate our lives, but not direct our lives. When we feel emotion, we're able to be and experience compassion, passion, grief, sorrow, joy, happiness, love. We're able to feel those things, but the ability to feel the emotion is not, being the, not the same as our lives being led by the emotion. And this is the tension that we are thinking about this morning. <laughs> this is the tension that we need wisdom for. This is the tension that we need help to navigate. And the amazing thing is that we are talking about this today. I don't know what you thought of when you heard that this is what we are looking at today. Maybe you're thinking, it's Sunday morning. <laughs> I've had one coffee. Like, this is a bit full on. I don't know where we're at. Or maybe we're thinking, oh my goodness, I am so glad we are going here. This is so important. Well, this is why we are going here, because God cares about who we are, and he wants us to care too. And for some of us, it can be that we become so afraid by being led by our emotions that we suppress them altogether. It may be we think that we might offend God or other people if we talk about how we're really feeling. Or it may be that we think, I can't believe I'm still struggling with this, whatever this may be. And so we suppress everything. But the thing is, we can't choose which emotions we connect to and which we don't. If we don't experience and connect to the depths of our pain and our hair and saw our sorrow, we also aren't free to experience the fullness of joy and life. We can't get to choose. We therefore become almost robotic, fulfilling the functions that we have, yet never fully engaging with our life. And this was never what God intended. And the word emotion is actually, it's from the Latin root to move, to disturb, 
Our emotions are meant to move us. They're meant to disturb us. They're meant to help us move through life, not becoming stagnant or monotonous. And this is why we're looking at it today. This is why we're looking at how we can integrate our emotions well into our lives so that we can thrive, we can be fruitful, we can lead well, we can be in relationships that are healthy. And our proverb that we're looking at has two key parts, two pieces of wisdom. And it says this, guard your heart. Why? Because everything flows from it. Who we are flows from our heart. This is where life starts. When we got up this morning, we're going to look at the second part first. When we got up at the, this morning, it was a brand new day. It was a different day. We have never had December the 2nd. That's what the date is. <laughs> December the 2nd, 2018. Before, we've never had it. It's a different day. And yet... We do not wake up different people every day. We don't begin our lives from a neutral state every time we wake up. Everything that has happened to us, the culture that we were brought in, up in, our experiences, whatever we have been through so far is part of our life. It paints a scene that forms the backdrop of our life. Everything happens in our subconscious and tells the story for the future of our lives. Every future choice that we make, every future decision that we take, every future conversation we have, every future experience we have, every um, way that we perceive situations, the way we assign meaning, the way that we judge, the way that we assume our people's perceptions of us, it is all lived out against the backdrop of our lives, against our subconscious. And this also means that if there are painful emotions that we haven't fully felt and processed, they will remain in our subconscious and will be part of where we are living from. Our life flows from who we are. It flows from our hearts. It flows from our inner self. Which is why this proverb tells us to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. It carries significant weight. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean to guard our hearts does it mean keep defenses up at all times? Don't let anyone in. Don't go anywhere near openness or vulnerability. We must guard and we must protect and we must keep people out. I think we all know <laughs> that that is not what this proverb is talking about. To guard is to watch over. It is to protect. It is to pay attention. If you are guarding a gate, you are aware of who is coming in and who is going out. You can give account for what has happened at the gate that you are guarding. You are paying attention and you are making decisions. And so to guard our hearts is to be aware of our hearts. It's to watch over our hearts, to pay attention to what we are allowing to take root, to be aware of what is spilling out of us in our words and in our actions. It is to be ready to eliminate real threat. And yes, to protect ourselves from self-inflicted harm. It is to be aware of our hearts. So how do we do it? 
How do we guard our hearts? It says in the proverb, get wisdom at all costs. What you need is wisdom. Get wise, become aware of who you are. And there's three things that I would just draw our attention to this morning. I think just touch on what God in our hearts can look like in our lives. And the first of these is to search. Number one, search. To search our hearts. We can pray, even if we've never prayed it before, we can pray a daring prayer that was first recorded and prayed um, in the Psalms by David thousands of years ago. And it's a simple sentence and it says, search me and know my heart. God, search me and know my heart. Because the incredible topsy-turviness about this in a way is that to guard our hearts is to, the best way to do it is to entrust them to completely to the one who loves us the most. To guard our hearts is to actually give God the fullness of them. Show me what is in my heart, God. Sometimes we don't even know ourselves and there is no shame, but actually freedom comes in the surrender. When we surrender, God has access to every part of us, including our emotions, and he wants to help us navigate and understand our hearts, to help make us aware of how our heart operates, where we are living from. The more we understand ourselves, the more that we begin to understand God, the world, and all that we were created to bring to this world. Parker Palmer, who is a writer I love, he says, go far enough on the inner journey, go past ego and toward true self, and you end up not lost in narcissism, but returning to the world, bearing more gracefully the responsibilities that come with being human. Search. (laughs) Don't be afraid to have a look. Search me, God, I trust my heart to you. And secondly, process. If there are things in our heart that God has alighted or that we have become aware of, process well. Years ago when I was a year one teacher, I had a class of five and six-year-olds. And talk about spending a day with children. We had had one of those days. People were forgetting how they behaved. They were fussy. They were noisy. They weren't paying attention to their work. I was having to be on everything all day. We'd got fed up with each other. We were just in this classroom. It just felt like we'd all had enough. And it got near the end of the day. And I saw on the floor Mrs. Pepperpot. And she was a cardboard cutout of a character from a story that I had made for everyone to play a game with. And not only was Mrs. Pepperpot the cardboard cutout on the floor, but she was torn in two at the neck. Yes. Well, I saw Mrs. Pepperpot. And in the moment that I saw her, without even thinking about it, I picked her up. And I, I am not a teacher who shouts, but I shouted, Who decapitated Mrs. Pepperpot? <laughs> And as I just shouted it, I just saw 30 little faces turn to me in shock. And I suddenly heard myself and thought, oh my goodness, put Mrs. Pepperpot down and back away. (laughs) Calm down. And I apologized and we worked it out and we had ourselves together. We did good story time. We were all fine. But that moment was not about Mrs. Pepperpot. That moment was about everything that had built 
up in me in the day. It was about all the frustration that I had carried in the day and then one last thing and it was out. (laughs) I yelled at them. Have you ever felt like that? It's a silly example. (laughs) But when our heart responds to situations that are way out of proportion to what is actually happening, this is what happens when we don't process well. Our emotions will spill out. They will leak. It may be that we have thought that there are some places in our hearts that are too painful to go to. And so the best thing we can do is just keep it down. If we just keep on going, if, I'm, if I just don't go there, keep the lid on everything, we'll be fine. Except emotions that we haven't acknowledged or processed, they don't dissolve by themselves. They don't simply disappear. Difficult emotions such as hair or loss or rejection because of what we've experienced will not go if we don't pay attention to them. They will flow out of us, as our proverb says. And emotions that we may have suppressed can then be outworked in symptoms such as anxiety or anger. And it's not wrong to be angry. There are things that are right to be angrier about. But if we turn the anger inwards and absorb it and allow it to remain there, it becomes a secondary emotion that we then live out to protect us from the pain and the sadness. It becomes a symptom, a defense that can spill out in all kinds of situations like a jack-in-the-box that just keeps popping up when we want to try and keep the lid down. It can pop out in road rage, in sarcasm, in always blaming others, in perpetuating repeated cycles of behavior, in turning to addictions to try and help numb the pain that we are carrying. Are we settling for certain patterns because it is too difficult for us to process our emotions that may be painful. To guard our hearts is to process well. It is to pay attention. To pay attention to where we're living from, what is spilling out of us. To allow others who love us well to speak into us. And for some of us, this may mean, you know what, there are some things that I'm becoming aware of. I need to have some conversations with Connect Group, with friends. It may be for some of us that we think, I'd love to contact the pastoral care team. The pastoral care team are here to care for everyone, not the pastors, as it has (laughs) been told, as I have heard. They are here to care for us. And it may be that some conversations with people who have been trained in this area may be helpful. It may be that some, for some of us, therapy is the best step in our journey. And the pastoral care team, we can contact them, pastoralcare at christchurchlondon.org, can point us in the right direction. It may be that the STEPS course, the men's recovery, the women's recovery, we have these courses. They are here to help us break free from repeated addictive behavior patterns, we can make use of them to feel and process our emotions well is healthy. It is good. And thirdly, and although I say thirdly, you will know that life is not lived through a list. (laughs) We don't move from one step to the next. It's cyclical. It overlaps. It informs each other. This is all part of life. 
but thirdly, to guard our hearts is to renew our minds. Renew our minds. Whatever is in our thoughts will be expressed in our feelings and will come out in our behavior. We think, we feel, we behave. And so if we're to guard where our life flows from, we're given an incredible insight into life in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his perfect and his pleasing will. We can and we need to take responsibility for our thoughts, to literally take charge of them, to influence the thoughts. If we renew our mind, we'll be able to make decisions about what is God's will, what is God's best for us. We'll be able to discern the emotions, the feelings that we need to process, and the ones that we need to have a word with. <laughs> Because sometimes we just need to have a word with ourselves. We need to renew our mind. And as you may know, our mind is made of neural pathways. And we've spoken about this before here in church. When we experience something, there are neurons that are fired together that literally create pathways in our minds. And so when we experience something similar, those pathways are strengthened and we shape our mind by the way that we think, and we just can follow repeated thought patterns if we don't pay attention. But we can actually change the way that we think. We can actually make new pathways. And if there are thoughts that we are constantly entertaining that lead us to keep on feeling negative emotions, we can break the cycle. We can break the cycle. We can intervene. Emotions such as feeling persistent guilt when we're being forgiven, fear, pride, selfishness, jealousy, lust, insecurity. These are not emotions that we were made to live from. They are, were not emotions that we we're made to allow to direct our lives and the choices that we make. We can break the cycle. And as we're beginning to do this, if we choose to do this, it can literally be like setting off on a path in the dark. There are pathways that are formed. And if we're going to create new pathways that will lead us to new emotions and feelings, it's literally like stepping out in the dark. It feels unfamiliar and unknown. It may be a little scary. What is this going to feel like? But we are told in the Bible that God's word is a light to our path. It lights up our path. And there are layers of meaning to this, but we can actually use the Bible God's words as to who we are to light up the pathways of our minds. And when the feelings begin of envy, we can use his word to actually form new pathways and say, no, I know that envy rots my bones. I'm not going to choose to feel envious. I'm going to choose to be grateful for what I have. And we disconnect and we begin to form a new pathway. When we begin to feel insecure, we say, no, I know that I can love because I was first loved. And we begin to break it and we begin to form the new pathway in the way that we think and the way that we feel. When we begin to feel fear, 
we can say, I know that I am not alone. I know that God has promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. And we break the pattern and we can act out differently. When we remember someone that has hurt us and we feel the very real feelings of pain, we can also break the cycle and say, no, God's word says to forgive. And I choose to believe that this is what is best. And so I choose forgiveness and we form a new pathway. His words can light up the pathways of our minds. We renew our minds and it literally can transform us. <laughs> Renewing our minds and how we think can lead us to experiencing more the fullness of life, to be more joyful, to be more hopeful. Our feelings can change day by day, moment by moment. And if we followed them in every direction that we took, we'd just be going round and round in circles, feeling confused every day. There's a Proverbs 25 verse 28 that says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And it's this image of if we don't have any control over who we are and how we're thinking, we're just allowing anyone in, <laughs> anyone in to come and influence us and have more power over us than they should. And there are some incredible people in the world. I know some incredible people in this room who have actually understood the power of what it is to renew their minds. There's some people who have changed history literally by the power of renewing their minds and changed the future for others. And one of these is a woman whose story I grew up loving, and you may have heard of her. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. And she was born in 1892 into a watchmaker's family in Holland. And during the Second World War, she and other family members actually were able to hide many Jews from the Nazis in their home until one day in 1944, an informant told the Nazis what they were doing. And her family, they were arrested, and she and her sister were eventually taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp, where actually her sister... Um, died in there. And through a clerical error at the end of 1944, Corrie ten Boom was released. And you can imagine the suffering that she would have experienced in there, the horrors that she would have seen, the pain of losing her sister in there. And when Corrie ten Boom came out, she went back to Holland and she set up a rehab, rehab center for people who were in need of care. She set up a rehab center for fellow survivors of the concentration camps. And one day in 1946, she was actually at a conference where she met one of the guards in her camp. And she tells in her book the story of the moment when she walked over and extended her hand and told him, I forgive you. And this is what she says. Do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world, and when it's blocked, that means pain. There are two things that we can do when this happens. We can kill that love so that it stops hurting, but then, of course, part of us dies too. Or we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel. And even as the vengeful thoughts boiled through me, she speaks of this moment at the conference, I prayed Forgive me and help me to forgive him. Jesus, I can't forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. 
Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She was an incredible woman who actually went on to impact the lives of so many others because of the decision that she made to renew her mind. And as I have said this morning, we have touched on what it is to guard our hearts. We have thought of what it is to search, (laughs) to look, to take an honest inventory of our hearts and to entrust them to God who cares, touch me and know my heart, to process well where we need to and to renew our minds so that it influences our emotion and to grow in emotional integrity is to be both mature and childlike. This is the continued tension. Children throw tantrums. They express their feelings in the moment because they believe that the world should be exactly as they want it to be. That is why they express it. But as we grow up, as we walk through life, we know that that is not the way this world works. We know that there are seasons of life, that there are mysteries of life, that there are times that we will experience the brokenness of the world. And it says in Proverbs 29, a fool expresses all his emotions, but a wise person controls them. To grow in wisdom is not to disconnect from our emotions, but to learn what it is to entrust them to God and to allow him to help us navigate them wisely and well. And to finish, I want to point us to Jesus, not because that's what we do to finish, but because he's amazing. Thank you, lovely people. But because he's amazing. And this is what Gerald Walter Henson says of Jesus. The gospel writers paint their portraits of Jesus using a kaleidoscope of brilliant emotional colors. Jesus felt compassion. He was angry, he was indignant and consumed with zeal. He was troubled, greatly distressed, very sorrowful, deeply moved. He grieved, he sighed, he wept, he sobbed, he groaned, he was in agony. He was surprised and amazed. He rejoiced and was full of joy. He desired and he loved. In our quest to be like Jesus, we often overlook his emotions. Jesus reveals what it is to be fully human and made in the image of God. We are not simply to be spellbound by Jesus, but to be unbound by his spirit so that his life becomes our life. His emotions are emotions. When Jesus was alive as a human being here on earth, his emotions were integrated into who we are in the most perfect way. He felt deeply, but he wasn't surrendered to his emotions but to his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Walter goes on to say that love permeated, guided, and empowered the spectrum of Jesus' emotions. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see this most incredible moment where Jesus felt so deeply. And it was in a moment where he knew that he was about to be arrested and taken and be crucified. And this is how the writers described this most agonizing moment. Sorry. It says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The words that describe this moment in other accounts of this are going a little further. He fell to the ground. It says Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He felt this moment. His soul was overwhelmed. He felt the moment and yet, and yet, and yet he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And yet I choose to surrender to love. His decision to surrender to love meant that he did go to the cross, that he did die. But that's not where it ended. His decision to surrender to love also meant that he came back to life three days later, having overcame the power of death and the power that it holds to destroy and steal and take from us. When Jesus went to the death and came back to life again, he has enabled us to live alive in love. I wonder if you would stand. We're a family of people as a church, not who have it all together, not who have everything worked out, but we're learning what it is to be alive in love. We're learning what it is to celebrate with those who celebrate, to weep with those who weep, to come alongside each other and carry the seasons together, and above all else, open our hearts to the one who loves us the most. This is what it is to guard our hearts. We can entrust them to the one who cares the most about them. And these are his words from Proverbs 4. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it.